This is a Founding Media podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by our friends over at Traverse Legal. They have been super helpful for us to work with as we started Founding Austin and our other ventures. Traverse Legal has been changing the way law is practiced since its own founding in 2004 with a focus on utilizing technology to better deliver IP and business law services to founders, startups, and emerging growth companies. Traverse Legal's latest offering provides a monthly fixed fee fractional general counsel offering to companies. Learn more by visiting TraverseLegal.com. Welcome to another episode of Masters and Founders. This week, we had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with Gordy Quist. While Gordy started out in finances, you probably know him best as part of the group Band of Heathens. His winding path to success is inspiring. I'll let him tell you more about all the twists and turns it took for him to accomplish his goals. Welcome to another episode of Masters and Founders. This morning, we have a very special guest, Gordy Quist with Band of Heathens. I really love this story, and I can't wait to share it. So why don't we get started? Gordy, I'd like to start with the very beginning, uh, following your passion. When did you know that you wanted to become a songwriter and singer? Uh, well, that's an interesting question, because I, I think uh, it hit me that I wanted to do this when I started trying to do something else. Okay. Um, I had always been playing in, I'd always played in bands and uh, started playing music at a young age, but didn't ever think of it as like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, I played a bunch of sports growing up and um, actually played sports in college, but always had a band. And um, it was kind of my outlet. And um, at one point I ended up getting a real job for one year of my life, mm-hmm. uh, had a, a kind of a straight job. And that was when I realized like, I can't do this. And you told me about this. Why don't you share what that job, you know, what you did and then how different it was than what you're doing now? Well, um, I had a job offer with, uh, an investment bank, mm-hmm. uh, Lehman brothers and, uh, out of college. And I actually deferred the job for a year and played in my band. Uh, and then the band broke up uh, after about six months. And I sold my favorite guitar, went to Europe with that money for a couple of months with another guy in the band and uh, traveled around and then thought like, okay, this is it. This is the, you know, the end of fun and uh, time to go work. And I, I realized pretty quickly that that was not the life for me. Um, and I think a lot of that came from just a love of music, but also the traveling that I did in the, in the months before and just seeing some of the world made me just realize like, hey, there's not not only one path to, uh, to life. And um, so, yeah, I, I worked for one year as a financial analyst and uh, made a bunch of money, like more money than a, you know, a 22 or 23-year-old probably should make. And, um, but I, you know, it was the kind of thing where you're sleeping under your desk and, um, it, crazy, crazy hours and a lot of stress. 
and um, the day that our bonus was supposed to hit, and the, the bonus was like, uh, you know, an insane amount of money relative to your salary even. Mm-hmm. And um, I was hit, hitting refresh on my bank account, waiting for the money to hit. The day that, that it hit, I got up and I quit. Wow. And, uh, and I moved to Austin uh, within a month or two of that. So really a journey, just you had to go taste that, but you already had tasted the traveling and you tasted the music and you tasted all that. And that was really what was the calling. Right. Yeah. And, and I didn't quite know how to make a living out of it. I just was like, okay, I've got some money in the bank. And, and that the money was a great safety net for me. It paid for my first two solo records. And I definitely like had this advantage where I wasn't... Uh, struggling. It's weird. Like a lot of times the struggle of having no money, because I've been in that situation mm-hmm. too. Uh, a lot of times that struggle is like the driver, like for success. And then for me in, in that time period, it was like, I'm not going back to that. Right. Um, I will do whatever to not have to go back to this life of, and, and it wasn't like a drive. I didn't care about money. I wasn't driven to like be a rock star or make a bunch of money in music. My only goal was do well enough that I can keep making art and not have to go back and do something else. And so, um, yeah, I, I kind of just like, I was like, all right, how much money do I need to make every month to they, break even to not have to go back? They say necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah. So that need not to go back is even yeah. so important because you'd already tasted that and you're like, I don't want to be sleeping under my desk. I want to go do what my heart desires. And one of the things that you said a second ago I caught on was, you know, you thought that the fun was over in that last trip you, you took, and then you did this for a year, and then you're just like, no, I got to go back and do some of the other stuff. So, yeah. And it was, you know, it was some of that was about, you know, in fun, you know, on a more lighthearted note, but it was also just like following a, a voice inside that is, you know, saying, you're not meant to do this. Like, right. this feels wrong for a reason. It's not, it's not who you are. And, um, you know, it's funny when I, when I quit that job, that was in 2000, summer of 2004. And, uh, you know, I think everybody there thought, oh, he's going to go do a passion thing for a few years. And I don't think anybody imagined that Lehman Brothers would be out of business wow. and go bankrupt before uh, my music career, yeah. which is kind of funny. I, I outlasted Lehman Brothers, but... But yeah, you know, for me, it's, it hasn't ever been this drive to like make tons of money. And maybe that's because, uh, I had an opportunity had I just wanted in life to like make a ton of money. I had this path where I probably could have done that. Um, but it just wasn't fulfilling to me. And, um, so for me, it's always been about make great art and, and, um, be around great people, enjoy what you're doing and make enough to be able to keep doing it. Well, as, as you know, the show's about masters and founders, people who have either found their own business or master a craft and just kind of pursue their passion. Um, in a previous conversation, we talked about your first song. What, what was that thing that made you write the first song? The first song, it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, I think the first songwriting experiment was sometime in high school over Thanksgiving break when a girl I had been going steady with for two weeks broke up with me. And, uh, and I think I wrote a few songs that weekend and, uh, recorded them on a tape deck. But, uh, you know, you do the multi-tracking where you can record onto one tape and then you play that tape and 
play along with it onto another tape and you can keep like ping-ponging back and forth and multi-track but um but yeah you know the the songwriting I, I had always growing up as a kid it was like guitar playing and I sang as needed singing back up in whatever garage band I was playing in and then at some point kind of discovered oh you can you know writing your own music and how that feels to express yourself and and to try to tell a story that means something to someone else as well. And some at some point, you know, I was in a band where the singer left and I was like, well, who's going to sing? I was like, oh, I'll try singing. And and so being the singer, I think, fed... I had already been, you know, writing songs, but the, you know, being the voice, singing them in the band kind of drove that, you know, well, I guess I need to write some more songs, you know, so... Um, but yeah, it's funny, like of all the, all the things I do now, touring in a band, playing live, uh, recording music for that band, for myself, uh, producing records for other artists. Um, I think the songwriting aspect of it is, is the thing that, uh, really spoke to me like early that it's, it's what I really love. And so now that's what kind of informs everything else I do. And when I'm producing a record for someone else, the first thing we do is dive in and spend weeks on the songs and and making sure that they're, you know, as strong as they can be and that they're saying exactly what, you know, the artist wants them to say. How they were intended. Yeah. So as you know, our audience, the message we try to get out there is be able to follow your passion. Just do what universe is calling you to do. Um, in your path, obviously it hasn't always been super easy. There's been challenges, but will you talk a little bit about some of the things that you did to kind of get started after that year and, and produce your two records and then what kind of jobs did you have to hold to, to follow this passion, things like that? Well, in the early days, I, I took a bunch of pride in trying to make enough money to not have to go get another job, which I think was kind of, kind of dumb at the time. Like looking back, it's like, there's enough time in the day to go, you can work a job and then in the evening, and you may have to give up your social life or give up a lot of other things, but there is enough time to work multiple jobs. And I, and I uh, for me, um, like substitute teaching was one of the things I did early on where I, you know, it, it's cool because you're not committed to having to show up every day at a certain time. It's more like you wake up at 6 a.m. if you want to work. You sign in. At the time, uh, the school district needed a bunch of subs. There were more empty jobs than there were substitute teachers. So I would I would go in and do that until 3 or 4 p.m., and then I'd have the whole rest of the day to work on music or go play gigs at night. And so um, obviously it's hard, and, and I think it takes some of your creative energy sometimes when you're working another job, but it's just part of the deal. You know, it's like, um, I mean, I feel fortunate now that my my other job besides touring and my band is I get to show up and work at a studio and still make art, which is great. But um, I, you know, it's um, it's harder and harder to make a living in music. Um, I don't know that it's harder than it's ever been, but it's it's a unique time. It has been for the last decade or so with the change in music distribution, and I think that. Uh, it's easier than it ever has been to make art and to make music, at least having access to studios. But, um, you know, it's still hard work. It's hard to say something and have something to say and, and craft something that's special. I mean, that takes a lot of emotional energy and a lot of time that no one sees. It's, it's mm -hmm. very solitary. Yeah. 
Um, but so, yeah, I mean, like a lot of times you got to like have the other job that supports that or that makes it possible to be able to do that. Um, but for me, like the goal was always to like have enough work going on to not have to do that. Um, but which then that gets into a whole nother weird situation where you're taking music gigs that may not be good for your career, but you, you take them because they pay X amount of money. And so sometimes I think, well, it might be better to have a job where no one sees you, right. you're making your money and you only do the music stuff that's good for your career. Yeah. And so I've, I've done all, all, of all those things spectrum. in the spectrum. Yeah. Tell me about the band of heathens. Let's fast forward a little bit and how you guys, how you went from solo label and solo um, albums to a group and band. Yeah. The, the band of heathens was a complete accident. Um, when I moved to town uh, in 2004, people said, Hey, you got to go hang out at this club called Momo's. That's like where that's the place to hang. And if you can, try to get a weekly gig there. And so, um, you know, just kind of went and hung out all the time, made some friends, eventually got booked on Wednesday nights. And Wednesday night was a really cool night. Um, this guy, Brian Keene, Colin Brooks, a guy named Steve Wiedemeyer, uh, Wendy Colonna. There were a few different artists that, like, were on this Wednesday night thing. And eventually when I got on there, um, I think because Steve maybe moved to Nashville, a slot opened up, and and then eventually Ed Jurdy, who was the last of the Heathens crew to move to Austin, and then he got a slot. It became a group of four acts, one right after another, that had the same drummer, ba same bass player played in two of the four bands, and so and we were all like sitting in in each other's sets, and uh, so at some point, you know, it's like, hey, why don't we just make this one one jam or one band? instead of four separate shows where pretty much the band stays the same, but the front man changes. Mm -hmm. So it morphed into this more collaborative thing, and then people started coming to see it. It was more fun, I think, for the audience to see that, the mm -hmm. collaboration. Mm -hmm. And it was loose. You know, there were no rehearsals, and um, there was a lot of tequila. <laughs> and we called it the Good Time Supper Club. And um, more people started coming to see that than to see our solo sets. Wow. And we figured we were on to something. And at some point, the newspaper listed us as the heathens. And we don't really know who planted that seed or who did that. And we have some suspicions. But um, that name ended up sticking kind of accidentally. And eventually, we started taking that show on the road on the weekends instead of doing our solo things or playing guitar in other people's bands. And here we are, you know, 13 years later, um, you know, the band is still going going all over the world, um, still making records. That's amazing, amazing yeah. stories. Um, last time we met for coffee, you were talking about some of the great experiences you've had through this, now following this passion, some of the things that people you've been able to meet and uh, actually record with. You want to touch on that? Because I think that's fun. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just crazy that this band that was an accident uh, has uh, the life that it's had. Um, We've gotten to do some amazing things early on. We were asked to do an Austin City Limits TV show taping, which was an amazing highlight. Um, and, uh, you know, we've gotten to play the Ryman and just really cool venues, a bunch of the big festivals. And then some very strange uh, things have happened. Apparently Kid Rock 
uh, found the band somehow, I think maybe from our Austin City Limits taping, and that turned into us kind of becoming friends. And uh, he ended up, one time he came up to, to Ed and myself, and he said, you know, I got to talk to you. I, I think I might have ripped off one of your songs. I was like, what? Uh, okay. He's like, you know, check it out. I changed it. But uh, if, if you like it, I'll, you know, if you hate it, I'll, I'll kill it. I won't release it. But if you like it, I'll give you whatever you want in publishing. Like, okay, let's hear this. And, and he, he took us back and showed us this demo. And sure enough, like the beginning of the song, it's like, it's our song. Mm-hmm. And then he totally rewrote the chorus. And it's an interesting song because when we were writing it, I kind of knew uh, like the verse was like strong. I was like, oh, this is a good melody. We're on to something. And when Ed and I were writing the song together, we stumbled on this weird chorus idea. And we both liked it, but we knew it was weird. And and I said, we we had this conversation, like, you know, if we do this, we're totally killing any chance of commercial radio, any success for this song, because this is too weird for that. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, but I like it. I was like, yeah, I like it too. So we recorded it that way. Well, Bob or Kid Rock heard it. And he had the same thought. He's like, man, the beginning of this song is really good, but this is just too weird. Like, what'd you guys do here? So he changed the chorus and uh, he changed the, when it got through the chorus, the last line and the title of the song is fuck off and die. Mm-hmm. And it's called Fode, F-O-A-D is the, is the way the song was recorded. And I, it's like, never would have imagined I'd be okay with someone taking one of my songs and turning it into a kid rock song called fuck off and die. Right. But, uh, but it was, it was fun and he's, he was a great guy and the way he went about it was like kind of funny. And so, um, he ended up inviting us up to Detroit and we lived in his house for a week and we were the band on about half of that record of his. And so we got to record with him and, uh, which is again, another, like just a weird thing that I would never have pictured aligning, um, and one of those nights, we get into an argument over Bob Seger and who played a slide solo on some Bob Seger track. And and Bob Ritchie, Kid Rock, was like, well, I'll just ask him. So he, he texts Bob Seger. He's like, he just lives down the road. So he texts Bob Seger. He's like, uh, you know, who played the slide solo on this track? And he says the answer and he solves the argument or, you know, then... Uh, Seeger responds and says, you know, hey, I got a new record done. I want to play it for you sometime. You know, what are you doing? And Bob Ritchie looks at us and it's like, you guys want Seeger to come over? Nice. It's like, yes. So Bob Seeger came over that night and it's the two Bobs sitting at the control room and Seeger has a new record and he's like chain smoking, just like fist pumping, listening to uh, to his, his record and singing his record to us and it's awesome. And then... Bob says, you want to hear what we're working on? You know, these are the heathens that, you know, they're the band on this record. Like, let me play you some tracks. So he plays them like three or four tracks and Seeger's digging it. And, and then it gets to the song that Ed and I had written together that Bob borrowed and Seeger starts flipping. I was like, this is the hit. And that, that's one of the most like rewarding things for me. It was like, cause when, you know, when you're writing, all you can go with is like your gut. Like, I right. think this is good. I like this, right. but you have no idea if anyone else is going to like it. Yeah. Um, you think, you know, but you really don't. And it felt good that like in the instant where like Seeger heard that melody and those words, he, he, it resonated with him in the same way that we kind of felt. Mm-hmm. And then when it got to the chorus, he's like, oh, you, you fucked it up. You can't say fuck in the chorus. No one's going to play it on the radio. And then they get into an argument. 
And then the next day, Seeker calls us like I wrote, I rewrote all the words. So there's two versions of the song. Wow. <laughs> One's called Say Goodbye, and it's a co-write with myself and Ed, Bob Ritchie, Kid Rock, and Bob Seeger. So I have a co-write with Bob Seeger, wow. which is really crazy, wow. and Kid Rock on the wow. same song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then there's the 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 uh, explicit lyrics version, which anyway, the two different versions of the record, but uh yeah, so so weird things have come from yeah. from the band of heathens, things I never would have imagined. Um, Great experiences. We were talking about some of the things you're doing now. Obviously, you're in a, your own studio now, um, and you want to talk a little bit about what what the studio means to you, and also what you're doing for the community with with your teaching. Yeah, it's really weird uh, how this has come to be. Um, our our dear friend George Reef, who produced a couple of the Band of Heathens records, who's kind of a mentor for us in the studio. Um, and we had done a handful of records here in his house, and uh, he got sick about a year and a half ago and passed away from cancer. And um, that that was like, that was really uh, tough. We were on tour in Europe when that happened. And he had been sick for a while, but then his like passing happened fairly quickly and unexpectedly. Um, kind of, we're hope, everyone was very hopeful that he's going to pull out of it. But um, when we got back from tour, a couple months went by, and I ended up getting an, an email from his brother about what they were doing with all of George's gear. And so, um, at first, I was like shocked. Nobody wanted to keep the studio together, and because uh, it's such a great. Um, just it's got a great sound and, and the gear is a, a really um, nice collection of gear that George put a lot of time into. So I kind of put together a plan to try to get all the gear and keep that alive. I couldn't, you know, I thought I couldn't swing the house too, but I ended up having a friend come in and help me um, buy the house. And so we've, we've been able to keep the finishing school, which is the name of his studio that he had. Um, we're keeping the finishing school alive and it's been just incredible and something, again, I never would have imagined that I'd be here. Um, and, uh, but it feels good to keep kind of what he started going, uh, for the band of heathens. It's great to have a home base, uh, for us to, you know, just screw around and, and make stuff, um, in our own place. And then it's been also very cool and rewarding to, I, you know, I've spent the last decade on the road most of the time, and feeling kind of removed from the Austin scene just because mm -hmm. we spend so much time on the road. And so it's been rewarding to like consciously, okay, get more plugged in, more tuned into what's going on. And uh, I've had a lot of artists, you know, come by and, and make records. And that's been really rewarding and fun because you, you get to wear a bunch of hats, you know, you get to the songwriting hat and you get to play on the records and Engineering is a whole other, you know, realm that uh, I'm diving into, which has just been really fun. So, yeah, it's it's weird how I'd, I'd always dreamed of having a studio in my own space, but I never, I did not think it was anywhere, you know, nearby. Um, funny how the universe works. Yeah, it's funny. And it's funny, too, like the way my mind works and like the drivers for me, it was never... Like, I want a studio. I'm going to do whatever it right. takes to get there. It's kind of just been like, do good work, work really hard. And along the way, like little things happen that kind of 
you know, boost the profile of the band or a song gets placed here. Like, oh, just you make just enough money that mm-hmm. the band, you know, we don't all have to go get jobs and do something else. Like it just kind of keeps building. And now over, um, you know, a little more than a decade with this band and, and doing this, uh, doing music for, for much longer than that. But it's just kind of funny how it keeps building on, on what you did before. And, and I think um, I'm trying to stay focused on just like, hey, just do good work, right. be kind, you know, and, and try to be helpful um, with other artists and kind of open to collaborating and open to just like helping people along the way because we've had amazing people step in and be helpful with us. And so um, just trying to consciously go back uh, or kind of get back into the Austin scene and be, and it's great too. It's worked out with the band. We don't tour as much as we used to. So it's nice to be home. I know last time we chatted, you were talking about being able to offer a place where we will write, write yeah. more music. Is that still something that you're working on? Or? Yeah, I've got a, a few ideas working that I haven't fully formed, but, um, the, the writing process is a, is a big thing that, I mean, and it's honestly, it's as much for me as it is for, for anyone else. Like I, I love the idea of structure and process, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, songwriting is mystical and weird and, you know, you can't really like explain, oh, this is how you do it. And then have a good song at the end of it. It's, it's much more, um, unpredictable, but I do think there's a little bit of is, is a numbers game and in like just doing a lot of it and then also having process and goals and um, th- those keep you from being lazy right. and, and keeping the output up. And, and that, you know, that's, that's hard for me. Like, you know, I, I've got two kids and, and my wife. And so when I'm not working like in the studio or on the road, I want to be present with them at home. And so it's like I have to have dedicated time structured for writing to be able to, to like keep having that output. And uh, I'm trying to think of ways to to build that in where it's a, a community of, of writers committed. And there's a lot of that here in Austin. It's great, actually, how much there's little accountability groups for, for songwriting. But I, I'd love to integrate it into the studio and then be able to like have a group of people write a song every week or every month or whatever the deadline is. And then have a day where everyone comes in and cuts Records. the song. I, yeah. think, I think it'd be cool, but... That structure is always nice. One of the things that um, you mentioned last time that I really stuck with me was that in the songs that you've written, all the songs that you've written in, in your career and before, you never knew which one would be the hit. It was not just like, oh, this one's going to be it, right? right? It's really a numbers game. You, you you put the work in, and you put the work in, and, and as you're putting the work into every one of the songs... You're honing your skills. You're honing your skills. You're honing skills. And every once in a while, one pops and it really resonates with the audience and does really well. So the statement you said to me was like, if if you just put in that the numbers and you continue to hone that skills, things will come out of that. Things will flourish out of that. So I, I thought right. that was really insightful for you know anybody out there that's that's listening and wondering how do I how do I make my own band? How do I make songs? How do I make a songwriter? I think that's really really good advice on on that aspect. I think it even applies outside of music. You know, I think with anything, it's like, if you just put in the work, you're creating output that is going to, you know, hopefully do good things for you, but you're also getting much better at your craft, whatever that may be. And so just over time, if you just, if you believe in that, you know, process of doing the work and, uh, that it will compound on itself and, you know, in the end pay off, 
I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully that works. <laughs> Makes sense. There is a story I want you to share. This is uh, we we talked about uh, your dad being a Top Gun pilot and you having to bring it to show and tell. Or you know, oh about yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think that's an interesting. Not that it has to do with what we're talking. Yeah, about. yeah. No, my parents are great. They're really supportive and always have been. Um, and it's interesting now uh, being a father and a husband, and I and I travel a lot. Uh, obviously with the band, which is a hard, which is a strain and, and difficult, but it's, um, it's, it's interesting. I, I kind of grew up with my dad being gone a lot too. He was a, a Navy fighter pilot. He flew F-14s and, uh, at a certain point decided to get out of active duty and get into the reserves and go the airline route. Uh, so he could be home more. And when I was in second grade, he was invited to, Miramar, California, which is actually where I was born. Uh, but he got invited back to Top Gun, to the Naval Fighter Weapons School, to instruct. And I think this was a maybe a year or two after the Top Gun movie came out. Yeah. It's like in the mid, like this is like 87 maybe when this happened. And I think that movie came out in 84, 85, mm-hmm. maybe 86. But uh, I was obsessed with the movie looking back, like, man, should I really have been watching that movie at that young age? But, uh, but anyway, that was kind of our life. That was my dad's life, like doing that. And so he had to leave. I don't remember how long he was gone, maybe six weeks or a couple of few months. I'm not sure, but he had to leave, go back to California. We were living in Houston and, uh, and I was telling all my friends about it. And my teacher called my mom and said, you know, Hey, we need to have a you know, a serious talk. Gordy's having a problem telling fibs. And so my mom was very concerned and she went in and, uh, and they had a a talk and she told her that, you know, Gordy's been telling stories that his dad's at Top Gun, like the movie. And so my mom had the, the pleasure of telling her that that's actually where he is right now. It's not just a movie, it's a real thing. And well. so then for show and tell, I, I brought it, when he came back, I brought his plaque into for show and tell to really, you know, rubber nose in it. But, That's so fun. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. Well, last question I have for you is what advice do you have for a young artist that's starting out? Um, everybody wants to, you know, needs a mentor, kind of do the right thing, take the right path. So what would you say? I mean, uh, there are so many different pathways for music um, that I, it's hard to give singular advice other than just to like work hard and trust that that diligence and that hard work um will pay off you know and and know that like it comes at a cost too like the hard work means especially if you're working a job during the day it's like all right that means at night like you don't go you don't get to go like have beers like you're going to sacrifice that to sit by yourself and try to create something or get better at your instrument um and so yeah, I, I just think the the thing that I still have to tell myself is like, all right, do the work and then trust trust that it will pay off. Trust is so important. I agree with 100%. This is, nobody has a book that's already written that says, here, just do the exact same step for your particular life and your particular passion. So it's this really dance that you have with the universe, and trust is part of it. Is I'm going to do the work, and I'm just going to trust that the doors are in front of me. They'll just open for me as I'm doing the work. So I think that's key. And, and when they do open, you'll be ready. Like, you'll, you know, you'll be prepared to, to, 
like, you know, you get an opportunity, finally something good happens and you're good at your craft or you, you're good enough to actually do something. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for spending the morning with us. We really enjoyed learning the story and getting inspired by your story. Oh, thanks, Dan. Thank you. Sacrifice and doing the work. You have to trust that your passion will lead you in the right direction. Thank you, Gordy, for sharing your story. Band of Heathens is currently on tour. If you want to see them live, you can click the link in our show notes for the listing of all their tour dates. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you everyone at Founding Media for your support. Want to connect to other Masters and Founders fans? Make sure you're a member of our Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. And our usual reminder to share the show with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes to help others find the show. Thanks for listening.